lost deep in the pages of your Bible are the books that are unmentioned, unheard of, and unread. They are the forgotten books of the Bible. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirluch. So a couple of days ago, I took uh, Bear. That's our dog. His name's Bear. I, I know who your yeah. dog well, is, Chris. The people listening may not know who Bear is. Spelled B-E-H-R, like the paint. Yeah, you did that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine messaged me. I put like a post of him. And uh, so he's a mini Australian Shepherd, but he's more like a medium Australian Shepherd. He definitely is bigger than the minis, and but he's not a full-grown size one. And uh, he's brown with a bunch of brown spots on him, like tan, ranging from tan, different shades of brown and white. And a friend was like, "Uh, did you name him that? Because he looks like a painting because of all the spots splattered everywhere. He looks like a painting. I was like, sure, that makes sense. (laughs) But no, it was just, we wanted to spell his name way more unique than B-E-A-R. Yeah, I asked Justine about it when I was over at the house. And I was like, why name him like the paint? She just goes, I don't know. Chris just kind of wanted to do it. All right, makes sense. Yeah, I had to be me. Uh, But I took him to the dog park. And so, like I said, he's medium size now. Yeah, I wouldn't peg him as a mini. When we took him to the small one, he would run in there and, like, do fine, like the smaller dogs. But he outgrew them. So now he's, like, knocking over chihuahuas and stuff like that. So I took him to the bigger dogs. And, man, these are some big dogs in there. Like, there's this huge Great Dane. That I probably could have rode. Like that thing was a horse. Um, I like big dogs like that. Yeah, they're huge yeah. and like you know just mixes of labs and other things. But they're also big, like hundred pound dogs. And there was this German so shepherd. He was getting knocked over like a chihuahua. Yeah. So there's this German shepherd in there, and this dude looked like just a small little bear. He, I think he was a long haired shepherd. Mm-hmm. So they're bigger than the normal ones. And uh, he ran into Bear like a freight train and just knocked him over. And he went rolling like three or four times. And the owner was like very apologetic about it. But I just started laughing because it was was funny to see. Uh, But she was very apologetic. And I was like, don't worry about it. And I could tell her dog was playing. Right. Like that's the best part about it. Like is if you know a dog's playing and they're not really being aggressive, then they're just going to have fun. But that dude came home tired. Like the whole day he just slept. And I, I told Justine, I was like, I'm pretty sure he got some bruises underneath that fur because he was playing rough with the big boys. Yeah, I don't know why immediately you were telling me that story. And in my mind, I just started thinking of a YouTube compilation of just <laughs> pet park yeah, yeah. rollovers. Yeah, yeah, that could have been it. Uh, the funny part, though, was um, when he would start playing with the Great Dane. I mean, it just looked like the, the size comparison was just hilarious to me because it was this little dog and this giant one. And we've gone over David and Goliath. And really, that's what it looked like was just this small little he was dog. A yeah, yeah, he was tiny compared to him. So, but he had a good time. Yeah, I wouldn't peg him as a mini, but next to a Great Dane. He was supposed to be a mini. Yeah. We got bamboozled. I told Justine I want my money back. Bamboozled. We were supposed to get a mini and we got a medium, but he's a good dog. <laughs> Just go return a dog after <laughs> several months. He he grew bigger than I signed up for. Yeah, I want my money back. Is uh is my receipt still valid? I know he's a really good dog. A lot of people were surprised with how well he listened and everything, but he I think it's just the nature of that animal. Like the Aussies, they're mm-hmm. just really good listeners, really good with um, people and other dogs and animals. Maybe if you're some type of shepherd dog, you got to be pretty good at listening. Yeah, great talk. All right, let's get into this. <laughs> great, great talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's get into Jude part three. Three of four. Uh, we're not just doing part three slash infinite symbol. <laughs> we should at this <laughs> we'll, point. We'll stop when we stop. Yeah, I mean, I really could. There's so much in this book. Um, I've heard from a few people how much they've been enjoying what we're doing going through the book of Jude. And honestly, for me, it's been really, really fun going through it. So hopefully today we can look at uh, the way of Cain, Balaam, Korah, Enoch, and then the rest of the chapter itself. Uh, for me personally, uh, the from verses 17 to the end, I'll probably save for next week. I feel like a lot of that's more applicationable things. I was thinking the same thing, Chris. So maybe after a long episode, this might be a little truncated. Yeah. I say that with a smile because there's still a lot in here. Oh my gosh, there's yeah. so much to cover with just those four questions. I know we're moving on from it, but I just want to say I was familiar with a lot of the things that we talked about last time. But one of the things that was new to me this time going through Jude was the whole assumption of Moses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know why even Jude for me was a little bit of a forgotten book that even as I was studying different things, again, it's only mentioned here like from that and it's easy to miss a verse or two. So coming back through Jude this time and obviously we're doing this kind of study and not picking up like that was a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I really like that too. I, I mean, before even going into studying, I had no idea what that was. Well, yeah, it's just like, oh, yeah, according to this thing, you're like, mm -hmm. what thing? Honestly, when I when we first started getting into it, and I was like, yeah, we're going to talk about Enoch. I thought that was from Enoch. Mm. So I didn't even know there was an assumption of Moses or the testament of Moses that then was also the assumption of Moses because they don't have the full complete records of it. So yeah, it was pretty cool. I actually heard an audio of someone kind of reading what the assumption would have been. Mm -hmm. And they were doing like voices. So it was pretty cool. It was like the devil. Were they good at the voices? Yeah, they actually okay. pretty weird. It was okay. like the devil was like, yeah. <laughs> this is body belongs to me like Schmeagel style and then you know the angel was like no the lord rebuke you and then uh god finally chimed in and it was like even deeper uh, but it was, it was pretty cool can you send me that link or yeah, put yeah, it, yeah. In yeah. it was notes? on youtube <laughs> yeah. uh um the audio on some of it's pretty horrible but like it's i'm just sure a, that just makes a, it better yeah it's a long thing it's pretty fun uh but yeah getting back into this really what we're looking at is that a group of false teachers have entered the church that's what we're hitting on for three weeks in a row. And what Jude is doing is identifying them through passages of the scripture. So he's using, I think it's about seven illustrations from scripture or other resources to identify characteristics or traits of them. Yeah. And he's identifying them like with the story of these people, right? Because mm -hmm. whoever these people are, when you call them out like this, it's wait, who are they? What did they do? What happened to them? And just all of these different interactions that he's pulling out it's like, I don't know, just these stories of these people. And I like that kind of application. I really enjoy the way he's doing it too. And, and again, going back to the way he's like name calling, right? Like he calls them dreamers. So the, the idea is that through false revelations, these dreamers, uh, they're prompting believers to use God's grace as a license to sin. And then one of the things he really hits is especially uh, the sexual kind of sin that's really been running inside of there. Um, so Judah is just reminding Christians, and I really like this, that he's reminding Christians to get rid of unbelief or they'll end up like the Israelites, to not abandon their faith like the angels and stop engaging in immoral behavior like Sodom and Gomorrah. And those are the three things that we covered last episode. That was last episode. Where do you want to jump into for today? Uh, for today, I think we, I mean, we, let's just go with the way of Cain. All right. So who's Cain? So let's go back to Genesis chapter four. I'm going to move my Bible pages because it was in Jude. 
I'm going to tap the keys <laughs> and go to a different <laughs> book. So Kane, I, I mean, a lot of what we did with Kane is covered in the villain series. I think it was episode four. Talked about Cain and Abel and what he did. Mm -hmm. uh, but Cain is the son of Adam and Eve. Pretty easy. Yeah, one of two. As I was just looking at it, the two brothers, you have Cain and Abel. Cain is the older brother. You have Abel coming after. And throughout their life, they're going. You have Abel keeping flocks and Cain worked the soil. Farmer, agriculture, doing that kind of thing. And they live in their life, doing the brotherly thing. As they're going there, make their offerings to the Lord. Because you see that Adam and Eve are their parents. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they got expelled out of the garden, but they still very much know the reality of God and how to come to him, right? And so you have their children going and giving offerings to the Lord. And basically, Cain's aren't accepted as good. And Abel's are. And so Cain gets... What does Cain get? He gets angry. Yeah, he gets... He gets super angry. He gets pretty angry. ticked off yeah, about yeah. it. And he gets mad at God. Yes. He gets mad at everything. I mean, he just becomes mad and then God shows up, right? And he's like, one of the coolest passages in the Bible, uh, if you do what is right, you know, why are you so downcast? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? Won't your sacrifices be accepted? And then uh, says, sin is crouching at the door, wanting to devour you. And it's such a statement that we could just really go on like an hour and a half on just that statement alone of through history in the Bible, sin crouching at the door, wanting to devour everybody. Like that's the story of sin. It wants us, and when we allow it into our life, it will devour us. Uh, but eventually, he he uh, doesn't really take that warning, walks out to the field with his brother and kills him, and then God shows up, and he's like, where's your brother? And then the other famous passage from the story, am I my brother's keeper? And uh, then he gets exiled because God says, your brother's voice is calling out to me from, your brother's blood yeah. is calling out from the ground, so... Off you shall go, which then, I mean, going into Cain after that is just so crazy. But uh, really, I think what one of the things that I, I didn't really get to this concept when we did it in the villain series, but it's um, like, what is the way of Cain, right? Like answering the question and it's man-made religion. Like he tried to come to God on his own terms hmm. from looking at that perspective. Like when we come to God on our terms, uh, that's obviously never going to be accepted, right? That's not an accepted sacrifice. But then we get angry, right? Because God, why aren't you working the way I want you to? It's, a, it's the dog and cat theology. And I've shared this before. <laughs> so we're going back to the dog and the yeah, cat. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I've done this on the podcast, but I know I, I did think it so. on uh, speaking yeah. when I spoke here at the church. But basically, uh, if you do something for a cat and you give them food, take care of them and give them a place to live, the cat thinks it's God. Uh, when you do the same things for a dog, the dog thinks you're God. And so... Cain would obviously fall into what we would call the cat theology that, God, I need you to do for me because I'm God. Yeah, to kind of look at that perspective as when you're saying, oh, yeah, man-made religion and coming on your own terms. The way that I see coming on your own terms that's just within the text there is that God is saying, hey, do what's right. So there was something that he was doing that was not right mm -hmm. in his approach. Like you said, there's one way that's acceptable to God. And you get that through a lot of the Old Testament laws and different stuff. This is even pre-law. So obviously there was a way that Adam and Eve knew <laughs> that, that was right. There was a way that Abel knew that was right. And uh, Cain was doing something different here. I, I get what you're saying. You've got the way of Cain. You have the wrong approach to God, which leads to a disconnect to God, which leads to anger and many other things, mm -hmm. right? But then that turned against literally his brother. So you have the anger turning into murder which I also see there's different scriptures talking about 
these false teachers like devour you, right? That they come in and that there's like Jesus taught, right? If there's anger, you're committing murder. Yeah. And you have people walking around with anger and there's different lists and we'll get into it about other things that mark these people like divisions and whatnot. It's interesting that Cain's pride resulted in violence that led to murder. Mm-hmm. And then that led to God's judgment and God's judgment was exile, but with a marking on him, right? So you're talking about like, it leaves a mark and his pride, his anger, whatever he was doing that was uh, wrong, right? There's a right way and there's a wrong way. Um, and like you said, clearly they knew their approach, the other people's approaches to God was acceptable because it was right. Him then being exiled shows that he wasn't doing what was right, but he didn't, it was like, if whoever sees me, they're going to kill me. And God's like, here, now they'll know that you've been marked by God. Right. And I'm glad that you said exile, mm-hmm. because that's an important part. And going back to the story, what's the way of Cain? All of that is an ending in exile. And you look at exile out of Eden, you look at exile even away from that. And exile is just that repeating thing that is, you said it, it's the judgment of God coming in. So I think that relating that to those false teachers to where you have, hey, they're coming in, they're approaching God in the wrong way. They've got their own form of religion with their own ways whatever kind of behavioral stuff that all comes with that, you know, anger leading to murder with the inclusion of other things, but also that God will judge and God will see what's right and exile is there. Yeah, and even after that, like he was supposed to wander, right? You were, mm-hmm. It was the call to wander. And then the first thing you read after he's exiled is uh, Cain got a wife and then built a city and named it Enoch after his son. So he didn't then do different Enoch. different Enoch than what we're going to talk about. Yeah, he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And they built up a city and, and stayed there. I've heard it put it this way. He builds a city that then is now breeding the same evil that was in his heart, right? It's being taught and everyone's just being this way. So Lamech, one of his great grandchildren, uh, kills a man and says, well, Cain is avenged 70 times, then Lamech 77 times. So like basically saying like, hey, if someone's weren't allowed to come after Cain, then I'm justifying my own actions of evilness and saying, you can't come against me, um, which is a really dark picture. And I think First John has a good way of looking at it. It's 312. It says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. I mean, it's clear there. There's no, again, definition of what he's doing is right or wrong. Like right. there's no specificness. But it was just evil in his heart. And I think that that's the thing when we look at stories as ancient as this. We're in Genesis 4. Mm. Like I said, we don't have the details. The important things have been preserved throughout history. There was wicked and there was good and he was going this path. Like the way of Cain, you know, including the wickedness and all that. Uh, this is pretty cool. It said, uh, Jewish interpretations of Cain's character has been influenced from several sources. Among the oldest is the book, The Wisdom of Solomon. In Wisdom of Solomon 10, 3 through 4, it says, When a wicked man disregarded wisdom in his anger, he perished along with his desire to murder his brother. Because of him, the earth was flooded. Wisdom again uh, came to the rescue. She took a man who did what was right and steered him straight on a vessel made of cheap wood. So go for wood. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, again, Wisdom of Solomon is not something normally looked at as canon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but within it, he's saying, like, it's a clear description. He's not saying Cain, but he's like, look, Cain, because of his anger, he, he perished because of his desires, right, to kill it and he killed his brother. But because of him, the earth was flooded, right? We don't really get that a lot in what we read that Cain is the reason why there, it went to the flood. 
And then uh, wisdom again came to the rescue, and she took a man, Noah, who was righteous, and saved him on cheap wood. Uh, so it's very interesting how some of the old stuff pinpoints him. Um, I, again, this is part of that same reading, and it said, Cain is the first person to reject wisdom and to be labeled unrighteous. He is also the cause of the flood in Genesis 6, like, kind of like what was said there. Uh, later Jewish views towards Cain reflected his negative portrayal. Josephus described Cain as holy evil, Philo calls him an atheist, and rabbis referred to him as an empty pot and a vessel full of urine. So, there's a lot about that. (laughs) That just kept going. Right. Like, I I got the point before, but yeah, now that he's a pot full of... Pot full of pee. Yeah, pot full of pee. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) And he is. That's Cain. Yeah. Cain Cain in a nutshell right there. Yeah. So, I I thought bringing up some of these older uh, writings and other writings was a good way to really summarize uh, the way of Cain. It really is just evil actions, coming to God on your own terms, and then not being satisfied with the results that drives you towards anger and hatred. So we got through that question pretty quickly. We did, and there's a whole other podcast that anyone yes. can go dig into. Yes, yes. That's so. why I went through it a little quicker than the other ones. because Yeah, but you brought yeah. out different stuff. That stuff wasn't in the other episode, so anyone listening. New information. Yeah, Chris is learning. The old, the old will be new. Right when you study the Bible, you're supposed to learn more. And do research. Anyways, uh, question seven then. Uh, what is the heir of Balaam? So Balaam takes us back all the ways, or maybe forward now, since we went back to Genesis 4. So now we're moving forward. We are from Cain, but from it's still Cain, all the ways but back. But it's still back from Jude yeah. uh, to Numbers 22 and through 24. And so uh, Balaam, from what we get in Scripture, is the son of Baor. Yes. Uh, and he was a non-Israelite diviner seer who Balak hired to curse the Israelites as they traveled from Egypt to the Promised Land. And then I read this, it said, Michael Moore, in his book, Balaam the Prophet, question mark, especially objects to the narrow view that Balaam was a prophet. Instead, he understands Balaam as a multidimensional character, a divine slash seer, at the same time an exorcist. The exorcist dimension deals with the blessing and cursing element. Moore's research has incorporated both biblical and extra-biblical material concerning the Balaam traditions, and then made a comparison with ancient Near Eastern evidence. So uh, I think a lot of times we look at Balaam as a prophet, but I did like the way he defined it as Balaam was more than that. He was a diviner and a seer because the way he kind of interacted with, uh, with the gods, and he was known to do that. Look at that as far as like a diviner and a seer, and then like versus a prophet. The prophets used to be called seers, right? Mm-hmm. I think that that's uh, there was a changeover as far as what from a seer to a prophet, as far as biblical terminology. But yeah, when you're looking at those other things that you're including, kind of, or what was part of that quote is when you're looking at those other aspects to a diviner or a seer that's not part of one of Yahweh's prophets. It comes with a lot of um, obviously you're going to be contacting different spirits. Yeah, and sometimes in the contacting of those different spirits, going back to ritual, you do such in a certain way and you come under that and under that authority and everything else so yeah i would agree with what michael was saying there there probably doesn't seem like he was one of yahweh's prophets but that he was definitely known to be able to channel Mm -hmm. that goes back to ancient religions having like shamans yeah and all of that you had your village uh shaman or Mm -hmm. spirit guide or whatever to come in if that just helps people place what kind of was going on here with this guy yeah and i i i believe that uh, if you're looking at it straight from the Bible standpoint, I think we could get caught up with the concept that uh, only God's people had prophets or diviners 
but you look throughout it, like, I mean, when you get to Egypt and uh, Joseph, it's like his, the pharaohs, people couldn't interpret his dream. Um, when you get into the Egyptians, mm-hmm. the magicians in Exodus, they were doing the same things that the um, Moses. Moses was doing. Yeah. And then later in Nebuchadnezzar, he had his people, right, that couldn't interpret his dream. So the, the idea of prophets, seers, diviners were throughout culture and all the other nations had them as well. Uh, I heard somewhere that the difference you would see is that those people would be more ruled by an evil spirit. And, and again, in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right, you have Acts, the little girl who was prophesying. And, right, right. And then Paul was all like, enough, and was like, stop. And then that's where they got in trouble. That, that's yeah, those where, guys got mad at him. Yeah, because right? stealing their income. Yep. Stopping that exploitation. Yeah. I, I, do you remember... Um, I'm a little older than you, so infomercials and commercials probably were more my thing than yours. I watched a lot of stupid TV when I was younger. So the later you stayed up, like there was like the infomercials. Yeah. And do you ever remember, what's her name? Was it Warwick? I want to see it starts with a D, Divine, Devon or something like that. Uh, but she was a, a psychic. And Wait, she, the Jamaican lady? Yes, yes. Oh, what was her name? I may be totally wrong. If someone else knows her name, I mean, sure, we could Google search it right now. But, <laughs> I completely forgot about but that. But that doesn't make the episode as fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, she would be on there and be like, call in and tell me your dreams and everything. And so, again, there are still these practices across everywhere. And a lot of those practices are really real across everywhere. So that thing of... We can speak from the American point of view. I've heard it's also kind of Western. I know different parts of Europe that are pretty devoid of the reality of these spiritual things. Mm -hmm. But you go a lot of different places in the world and these rituals and these spirits are pretty real. They go to them with frequency. Yeah. Yeah. I think here in our culture, we try to numb down the spiritual side so we don't see it as often. But uh, back to the story, unless you got anything else to add to that. No, yeah, let's keep going. Uh, Balak, who was the king of the Moabites, uh, he was afraid of the Israelites because of what, uh, how he heard that they defeated the Amorites. And the Bible says he saw all the Israelites had done to the Amorites. So he's petrified. Like he's worried. His people are worried about the Israelites marching through. Um, so he sends a messenger to Balaam to ask him to curse Israel. So he said like, hey, Balaam, I need you to curse Israel. So again, this is I- indicating that Balaam had a reputation of being directly connected with the gods. Balak knew who he was in that term. So I've got another cool little thing about Balaam, some mm-hmm. history stuff. It says, Balaam is the main character in the inscription discovered in 1967 at the archaeological site Tale Deir Allah, hopefully I pronounced that right, in the region of Succoth in Gilead, east of the Jordan. The inscription, which are written on plaster, probably were displayed on a wall. Laboratory tests date them to approximately 800 B.C., which places them in the time of the northern kingdom of Israel prior to the Assyrian uh, deportation in 77 BC. The inscriptions contains a poetic story of Balaam the seer and a vision given to him by the god El. In the first part of the inscription, a council of hostile gods opposes the high god El. Balaam receives a vision from El warning that the council plans to force Sagar and Ishtar, the goddess of fertility and light, to close the heavens so that the land will remain in darkness and chaos. The text is broken and unclear. Balaam apparently warns the leaders, and somehow the impending disaster is averted. And then it said probably through magical rites performed by Balaam. So again, adding to some history of what Balaam was, that this is why they were going to him. Yeah, he was a known guy. He was a known dude. It seemed like he carried out his role as that prophet in Seer, because there's... 
El was the Canaanite god, and you know the other gods there. And when you look at scripturally where you have the divine council and you have Yahweh and you have like his beings that he put over, um, and there's these other gods, in order to go and be in the presence of the council, and again, you're interacting with real beings, and Balaam is saying, I can't just do that. I need to go before Yahweh. Right. right? That, that's his response. He said, hey, go and curse him. And he says, no, I need to go before Yahweh and ask permission because that's how a lot of these pagan gods were. It was, yeah, you could do things to please them and whatever, and you could come and, oh, yeah, let me please this God and then go and, all right, well, let me curse these people or let me do this thing. And that's why a lot of people were terrified of the pagan gods, always trying to please them <laughs> with like, right, all kinds yeah. of different stuff because they were pretty petty like that. And people would come and, you know, ask for cursings. and. Yahweh's response is, you can't go with these guys, and you can't curse Israel. Mm -hmm. So Yahweh's not like the other gods, I guess, is a way of wrapping that. Yeah. Eventually, though, he does say, like, okay, you can go with them, but you're going to say uh, what I want you to say, and you can't curse Israel. So the through, through back and forth, this happens, and as they were traveling, this is, like, my favorite part of the story. And I read a few things where they're, like, this was maybe added later, the donkey uh, story of Balaam, but that gets into a whole different deep dive really looking more into the life of Balaam mm -hmm. uh, but he allows them to go and uh, it says uh, let me turn to it real quick it said that night God came to Balaam and said since these men have come to summon you go with them but do only what I tell you and then Balaam got up in the morning saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab uh, but God was very angry when he went and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose Balaam who was riding his donkey and his two servants were with him so uh, I always read this, and it kind of was, like, confusing to me at times. Like, so God tells him to go, but then when he goes, he puts in the angel of the Lord now appears, and, like, is, he's angry at him for going. Um, and when I was thinking about it, I was like, maybe, and this will just be my interpretation of it, but maybe he was upset because he just went. You know, in other times where it says, like, God tells someone to go, he says go, but he said didn't say when to go. Um, but, again, that could just be my looking at it and trying to put two and two together, but... Basically, God gets upset, and the angel of the Lord is put there in between them. And as they're traveling, like he's blocking them, the donkey noticed it and stopped. And Balaam got upset, so he gets off and beats him, right? Then the donkey stops or beats her. He keeps trying to go forward, and the donkey like pushes him into the wall, so it crushes his leg. I'd so, be kind of upset if I'm riding yeah. a donkey and I get my leg crushed because yeah, I don't see this angel of the Lord. This donkey, it just crushed my leg on yeah. the mountain. So he gets up, beats her again. Yeah. And then it happens a third time. And then this is, again, where the story gets pretty funny. It's in verse 28 of chapter 22 of Numbers. The donkey says, uh, what did I do for you to hit me? And Balaam, without hesitation, like no pause, no stopping, was like, you made a fool of me. Like he replied back to the donkey. Yeah. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Yeah. He's got qualms with this donkey. <laughs> Which is funny because if, if I was sitting there like, and again, I'm putting it into my perspective. If I'm uh, with Bear and we're walking and like he's not going and I'm trying to pull him and I'm like, come on, Bear, come over here. Uh, yeah, it's frustrating, right? You're like, come on, let's go. Quit sniffing that area. We got to keep going on our walk. Uh, but if he just one day was just like, dude, we can't go anymore because there's something that I'm trying to stop you from that's about to damage. I'm not that interested in sniffing this. I just don't want to die by that angel with the giant sword swinging in front of us. My first reaction wouldn't be like, you've made a fool of me. He would be like, wait, what now? Did I lose my mind? Am I going crazy? Um, clearly something's just happened and the matrix is broken or something. You know, like I would not go to the just quick reply. But 
looking at the history of Balaam, it all started to make sense. If he is a diviner yeah. and he is talking these things, a talking donkey is not something that's going to startle him. It, it wouldn't. And I was going to bring it to that point too, because yeah, it's not the most unusual thing and getting a lot of these rituals involve different stuff, but he's not that good of a diviner because he can't see the angel. So when you're looking at, oh yeah, talking donkey. So when we're wondering, or not wondering, when you're saying like, oh, God got mad at him for going or whatever. Um, he seems like he's able to see into the spirit realm. He seems like he's able to do different things, but he doesn't seem that good at it necessarily. <laughs> um, whereas that other story you were reading seemed to praise him a little bit yeah. for, for his stuff. You're saying, well, didn't God say yes? And then he said, no, it's like Balaam doesn't seem too hot. Yeah. 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 So the story continues that uh, God does open his eyes. He sees the angel of the Lord uh, and then he allows him to go, but to only bless Israel. So when he gets there, Balak takes him to like these three different high locations where he could see the Israelites. And at each spot, he builds seven altars and offers sacrifices. And each time he blesses Israel only and tells Balak he can't curse them. Uh, if God didn't allow him to do it, he can't do it. And then finally, Balak gives up and Balaam, uh, Balaam gives one final message telling how Israel would defeat their enemies, including the Moabites. And then that's kind of what ends as far as this known story. It says, uh, that Balaam went home in verse uh, 25 of chapter 24. It says, then Balaam got up and returned home and Balak went on his own way. And it kind of seems like, okay, but what point are you making Jude with the error of Balaam, right? Like mm -hmm. what, what's next? Um, what I also found interesting uh, before going into that was that uh, I've heard that some of the Oracle of Balaam was actually used after that to like, recited as like these are great things that god would do like it was part of like their language uh because they were nothing but blessings right 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 yeah, yeah i've come across that as well so i thought that was pretty interesting but uh if we continue the story verse 25 it said so this is after balak went on his own way it said while israel was staying in Siddam, the men began to indulge in sexual morality with the moabite women who invited them to sacrifice to their gods and uh, the people ate and bowed down to these gods so it, it like continues on there. But again, you're like, well, what does Balaam have to do with this? You know, he's not really mentioned in anything. But Numbers 31 verse 16 clarifies some of what Jude was talking about. And he says, uh, this is Moses talking to the people. He said, they were the ones who followed Balaam's advice and enticed the Israelites to be unfaithful to the Lord in the pure incident so that a plague struck the Lord's people. There we get some clarity as to what happened, that Balaam did offer some advice to Balak and said, hey, you want to get these people? Because again, he was being offered, I don't think we mentioned it, but he was being offered money to come and curse them, right? And he said, so if you want to get these people, obviously I can't curse them. But if you get them to marry your people and to do things with your people and then worship your gods, uh, you'll get the people. And, and it seems like that was the advice given there. Yeah, so I wanted to go back to that plague and just go back into a little bit more of the detail. I know you went through it, but Numbers 25, where you have that just right at the beginning, when you saying, started saying in Shittim, that sexual immorality with the Moabite women who invited them in to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate the sacrificial meal and bowed down before these gods. So Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor. So the mm -hmm. Baal of the Lord, the local god of Peor. Again, all these gods are geographical, you know, and all this stuff. So each area has their own. A lot of Baal, when you see Baal, a mm -hmm. lot of times, like, different places had their Baal. Right, So this yeah. is the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. So going back to that false teaching, and like you were saying, following that way of Balaam, that Balaam, 
got them to do this, you're tying into what Jude already said about the sexual immorality that these false teachers are bringing in. But then when you have this going with the false teaching leading to other gods and in other spiritual paths, leading away from Yahweh, that's what false teaching does. Mm -hmm. It's not like there's just a neutral. When you're in the spiritual realm, mm -hmm. you know, it's either God and those that are for God and those that are against God. So it's not like you can start wandering away from the path of Yahweh and you're like, oh, no, I'm fine. It's there are these other gods that very plainly it says you're bowing down before them. Yeah. The one thing I really like to I, I, I skipped it when I was reading it. So I'm glad you went back and read it was they yoked. Mm -hmm. They yoked themselves with it. And that's the one thing I think, uh, again, Jude is telling people who are familiar with these stories because they've either read them together or heard them so many times that they know it. Hearing that term yoke, you know, what, what happens when eventually you get tied up with the false teaching? You start doing these things, you yoke yourself into it. You, you become uh, combined. And it's not like egg yolk. It's uh, the oxen, right? So they mm -hmm. would have two of them together and they were yoked. It was a thing that held them together. And if one went faster than the other, the other one would snap. It would snap the other one's neck. They had to move together in unison. You're plowing and labor in the same direction. Right. You're putting in work together. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah. And so what he's saying is that when they yoke themselves to this other God that they were plowing and putting in work together with these people for this other God instead of God. And that's why, again, uh, the Lord's anger burned against them because that's his people. The, the commandment was no other gods. And again, here they go breaking that first one. And, and it's what he, want, he didn't want from them. He wanted his people to be holy, set apart, that they only worshiped him to be part of his family and his kingdom. And this, this story shows that the Balaam, the way he figured out to get the people, if I can't curse them, it's almost a, like, if you can't beat them, join them. It was like, if we can't beat them, get them to join us in what we're worshiping. So then they'll live like us and we don't have to worry about when they come in to sweep our land, they're not going to destroy us because they're part of us. So you have this seer who goes and communes and finds a weakness against Yahweh's mm -hmm. people. That weakness is sexual immorality. Like, oh, what do you know? <laughs> that kind of thing comes from the wrong side <laughs> of the spiritual realm. Yeah. And what a way it is to trap even God's people. Yeah. There was a tactic that worked, mm -hmm. right? So. I mean, you even have it in Revelation 2.14, right? Nevertheless, I, uh, when he was talking to one of the churches, mm -hmm. nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Some of you hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual adultery. So it's, it's there what we're kind of saying that this, this way was taught. Yeah, and those, of those two things, sexual immorality is more, I don't want to say familiar to us. Um, the one that we're aware of, right? When mm -hmm. in America, the meals, was it meals with idols? We don't really tend to get that here. Yeah. But again, if you go back to the time when this was written, and you have all of those different Roman gods and all of the different other gods that have, you know, been in the area. And a lot of these people previously followed those. And it wasn't uncommon. Again, you read through all the Old Testament, you see little by little these other gods and their teachings and the worship of them come in. So you can see some of these teachers coming in and saying, hey, you know what? No, this God over here that helps with this thing or like does this area. It's no problem to offer a sacrifice to that mm -hmm. God. That's just that's just foreign to my experience. So that one doesn't highlight as much to me. But when we're looking at like what's going on with Balaam, that's one of the things that in the very narrow definition, like, yeah, I'm not busting out a grain or a drink offering to some other God. 
but we tend to look at what are your idols and where are you spending your life and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. What are you giving your worship and your time and your affection? Welcome back to the heated debate for the body of Moses. I'm your moderator, Remy from YCF Kids News. Devil, why do you feel like you should have the body of Moses? Well, the body is mine because I am the master of material things. All that is in this world belongs to me, and so also does the body of this murderer Moses. He killed a man in cold blood and hid him in the sand. No amount of good can save him from me. Michael the Archangel, what is your reply to that? The Lord rebuke you. Devil, isn't it true that you want to use the body of Moses as an idol for the children of Israel? No, that is a lie, and I would know a thing or two about lies. All I simply intend to do is bring it down to the people and let them do what they desire to do. Trust me. Michael the Archangel, what do you have to say about that? The Lord rebuke you. This debate is intensifying. We'll be back with more after this. I, I like our uh, pantry podcast friends, mm -hmm. Shay and Michelle. Yeah, yeah. Because their podcast is like pantry. It's like, what food are you putting into yourself? Because uh, you're talking about like, we don't understand the idea of eating sacrificed food to other idols. Uh, but they're like, you know, you could go up and get the junk food of the world, which is like, you know, probably binge watching Stranger Things 4 for 17 hours straight or... Eat. You said that oddly specifically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or eat, uh, you know, God, consume God's word. Right. Um, and, and I think that that's a good way for us to really understand it. It's like, what are you putting your time into? And we can digest sacrificed food to idols as well. Maybe it's not the pagan I mean, You don't God. have the physical ritual you, to yeah, it, but, but not, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what are you doing with your time? Are you really putting an investment into knowing who God is more by studying his word, getting into that prayer? personal worship at home, whatever you want to do. It says here, taught them to bow down, right? Yeah. So it's the eating and then it's the bowing down. It's like, yeah, what are you bowing down to in your life? What mm -hmm. has control over you? Yeah, exactly. Because that's kind of the thing with a God. You're saying, hey, <laughs> I'm coming before you. You're the God. I'm going to let you control this thing. I, it comes at a cost. I firmly believe not anyone listening to this podcast wouldn't relate to this. I get on my phone. I open up a social media app, whichever one it is, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever, YouTube, and all of a sudden I've lost two hours of my life, right? Like it just happens. You're scrolling, you're looking at things, you're communicating, you're doing this and that, watching funny videos over and over, like people falling, and those are usually my favorite. Yeah, I send you some pretty... Yeah. Some of those are kind of brutal. Yeah. <laughs> the ways that people can get hurt. Memes that are just hilarious to whatever thing you relate to. Like, I love the Marvel ones. I like uh, uh, DC ones, wrestling ones. So wait, is this a good thing that we're talking about? No, 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 no it's not at all. But yeah. I'm saying like we could all relate to the idea of being caught up in that. Mm -hmm. uh, and you're like, well, that's nothing. That was just looking at pictures or images or social media. But there are points in scripture where it says you need to get out the images like erase and gosh, I wish I was better at knowing where things were in the Bible and reciting verses. But it's like, get out doing this and the images that were there with it. I think it's like Old Testament where they're talking about like the stopping bowing down to certain gods or the poles that they would set up or all the other stuff that they would have. And it said they removed this and the images. Yeah. And it's like, 
to me, I guess there were like things put up, but it's like, yeah, what are you putting in your eyes? What images are coming into your brain? Because those are the things that you're bowing down to that you will, you will give into. And so like, again, it's not necessarily the same as far as an action, but it is still an idol that we worship. And that was Balaam's way, right? Like, how do we get the people of God off course, right? They were plowing their way and they were straight beeline making it to Moab. How do we get them off course? You, you, you distract them. Mm-hmm. Sexual morality, eating food, even sacrifice to idols. But hey, who cares? Let's have them eat it because usually the food sacrificed to idols is what? The best food. The fat. fatty stuff. Yeah, and then you're all, stomach's all full. We've all had Thanksgiving dinner where your stomach's full and you're like, oh, what are you going to do now? I'm just going to sleep for 14 hours because I'm tired. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we can understand it somewhat, but it's distractions and it's comfort. How do we get the people of God off track? Comfort and distractions. Yeah, it's basically just playing to the temptations of the flesh. Right, yeah. Uh, so Balaam, to, to say what was his way, uh, he led others into sin for personal gain. Uh, he knew the truth, but deliberately led Israel into sin so that he could make some money. And that is Balaam, almost his story in a nutshell. It actually, uh, I didn't write it down, but then he eventually dies like in battle. I think, you know, he doesn't have the great send off. Um, but yeah, he wasn't a hero to yeah, begin with. I wasn't expecting yeah. him to have the send off. Which is, uh, that's where I, when I read those quotes, it did, uh, when I looked into Balaam's life, they did say that there are two different versions of Balaam. Mm-hmm. Where one, he is looked at as like a hero or a diviner, and then right, the other right, one's right. where it's the negative. Um, but yeah, from our perspective and Jude's clearly not. So, uh, let's get into Korah. Well, Korah's rebellion. We're still in numbers. We go backwards a little bit now. Yeah, we go back. Now are we actually going backwards? Yeah. From coming forward, we're going backwards. Yeah. yeah. Back in time. Back to the future three. So number 16, <laughs> um, Korah's rebellion. I have Korah, the son of Ezar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, Along with some Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth. So, that's some Korah right there. They're coming together, a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 men. So, you basically have this coup that's coming against Moses. You have those main guys that were named for the difficulty of their names, and they get 250 men to come against Moses as a leader, and basically told Moses and Aaron, You've taken too much upon yourselves. Everyone in the entire congregation is holy, and the Lord is in their midst. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? So right off the bat, what are these people about? Why are you so special? Exactly, yeah. We know God, too. Mm -hmm. And basically, we don't like your authority anymore. Yeah. Uh, What is the wording you said? All the community is also holy. Like, what makes you special, right? Because the Mm -hmm. holy word set apart. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're all set apart. What makes you two so set apart? Which is true. They were called to be holy. Mm-hmm. So this is where you get a little bit of false teaching. It's like, yeah, sure, we are holy. Right. You can picture these guys talking, gathering in this 250 men saying, guys, aren't we holy? Why are Moses and Aaron so different? Mm-hmm. You notice that they have all that special stuff going on. And oh, yeah, it's Aaron is over the priesthood and Moses is the one that gets to talk. Didn't we? Weren't we all there? Mm-hmm. Weren't we all made holy? And that's so true. It's like what we were talking about, I think, before we started recording is that... Uh... False teaching, it's, it's got a little bit of that truth in it. It's got mm-hmm. a whole lot of lies in it, but that little bit of truth is enough to hook, and it got 250 people to, to join with them. Uh, I like there's a part in there where uh, Moses goes, and uh, he tries to call two of them. I think it's Dathan and uh, what's the other guy? Abiram. Abiram. Yeah, that dude. 
uh, he tries to call them and like talk to them and they said uh we're not coming <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're like we're not coming. we will not come exclamation mark is in my bible is it not enough that you have brought us up uh of the land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the desert like so the promised land was a land of milk and honey right and they're saying isn't enough you brought us out of a land that was already like that you took us out of egypt to a desert uh, moreover you haven't brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey or given us an inheritance of fields or vineyards. You haven't kept your promise, is basically what they're saying. Will you gouge out the eyes of these men? No, we will not come, exclamation mark. So again, that, uh, that false teaching of like, we're all holy, we're all special, right? We're all this and that. And to the point of like, also, one of the reasons they're upset, you didn't keep your promise. You haven't fulfilled your promise yet. And, you know, Moses being God's guy, it's like being mad almost at God of like, yeah, that, that is how the enemy gets some people. You know, it's God hasn't been faithful. He's not delivered his promises to you, but we're expecting God to do things on our time when we want it, when it's convenient for us. And God's like, that's just not how it works sometimes. Sometimes it has to be when I say it's ready because then you're ready for it. I saw this post and I've been uh, somewhat anti-goals lately after I saw this video from Larry Osborne. Uh, he said, set directions, not goals. So I really like that better. Um, but it was like... Themes. Yeah. Themes are good. What is your goal? What is one goal you want to accomplish in 2022? And I was like, man, you know, that puts so much stress on you. Like this needs to be... And it was like, what's one goal uh, that God can do for you in 2022? And I'm like, well, what if this goal I have isn't what God has for me in 2022? Like what if it's for 2027? Right. But I'm like, God didn't do it in 2022. And now I'm. Yeah. Timelines can get you all screwy. Right. When so it comes to these things. I really did. You know, I, I relate it to these guys' responses because I've been there before in my own life. Like God hasn't done this. This hasn't been fulfilled. So, no, I'm going to throw a fit and will not come. Also, just want to point out that these people that are throwing a fit, how I named off some of those names. And it says the son of Kohath, son of Levi, the Levites were in the priesthood mm -hmm. right and that was the part in between what i said and then you came in so this is um moses saying to korah listen you sons of levi is it not enough for you that the god of israel separated you from the congregation and brought you near to himself to perform the work of the lord's tabernacle to stand before the congregation to minister to them so it's just like we're gonna call you two out on being special but it's mm -hmm. like weren't you guys called out to do this special work mm-hmm so it's just interesting even there um, when you're talking about, oh, not your timing, not the whatever's like God is moving through you. He called you for a special purpose. Like, no, I want it to be my way. I want more, right? Want also more. the comparison thing, like why is Moses, why am I not Moses? And you start com comparing yourself to someone else and, and you're looking at it through that lens. So now your relationship with God is like, why am I not where so-and-so is and why am I at where I'm at? But God's like, you're already special. Like you're, you're the Levite. Like you, isn't this good enough for you? And you're like, no, I want more. Right. So then in that, it says, you, Korah, and all your followers are to do as follows. Take censers. What's that stuff called in a censer? Is it the bronze thing? Incense. Yes. Yeah. So take the censers. So that's the incense. Take those. Tomorrow you're to place fire and incense in them. Answer the question. In them to the presence of the Lord. Then the man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. It is you, sons of Levi, who have taken too much upon yourselves. So I was like, okay, we want to see who God is choosing for this task. Mm -hmm. Let's see who God is choosing for this task. So as we're going along with this rebellion, 
I feel like God always has like really succinct ways of bringing things to a head. Yeah, this one. You get what I mean? Yeah. Like, cool. This is going on. I think of Elijah as well. Cool. You're saying that you, your Baal, like mm-hmm. he's the one. It's Yahweh. Here's what we're gonna do. Let's see who's real. Let's see what's real. Yeah. Yeah. And and this one's pretty interesting. Where Moses says, "Uh, is we'll it, see who's holy. Who we'll see who's holy. And if I am, then this will happen. But if not, then the ground will swallow you guys up." And sure enough, the ground opens up and swallows them. And uh, it uses the word swallows them to the grave. So speaking of Elijah, right? Elijah is one that went up on the chariots of fire and he did not die as far as I can tell. Mm -hmm. Him and our friend Enoch. Yeah, we'll get to Enoch. They seem to be the guys that don't die. But this is like the other way that these guys are going basically down into the underworld without dying. That's kind of how that can be read. Yeah, the grave... uh... Sheol? Sheol, exactly. Yeah. That's a, uh, it's often, I've read that it was often um, interchangeable, the grave and Sheol, so that when we read it, we should probably look at them as being the same. Uh, and that term is the realm of the dead, mm-hmm. which is, appears 65 times in the Old Testament. Um, and really when it's described, it's like dark, uh, dusty, silent. It's not like a good place, and, uh, but it's a place where uh, it's great equality in there like all people are equal from kings to slaves uh it's a place where both the wicked and the just reside its location is under the earth that's in numbers what we just read uh and it has a bar to prevent escape that's in job only god can rescue his people from shield that's in psalms uh, and it's a place where no one can praise god again in psalms it's mentioned and there's no understanding in shield and that's in proverbs and then in the new testament uh, it's described as, or it's changed to Hades. Hades yeah. yeah. Which, when we say Hades, I think some people are a little bit familiar with Greek. It's like, oh, I kind of can get the concept of Hades. Mm-hmm. It's the underworld. Yeah. So it's also the weird thing there. I'll let you keep going, but you've got Hades as the place or the name for the place, but then it's often associated, like personified into the god. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's where at the very end in Revelation, you have Sheol. As kind of a god and death, anyways. Yeah, keep going with your thing. So they, they, yeah, because it is the god and also the location of the mm-hmm. place. And then we now have changed a lot of that to hell, hell the terminology of hell. Uh, but there's there are differences between Sheol and Hades. Uh, is that uh, Hades is now basically for the unrighteous? Yeah, there was kind of a distinction that happened when you get into it being called Hades and some of the concept there. You you have Jesus when he's talking with the rich man and Lazarus. Right. Mm-hmm. And you have being in paradise or in Abraham's bosom. Right. To where that was a bit of a separation in the pagan religions of Jesus' time. You'd have like the Elysian fields, which is kind of like, yeah, if you're pretty good, like that's where you go. You don't get to go up Mount Olympus, but you can be in these nice fields. You're not going to be over there in <laughs> Hades. Like that was that yeah. process. So, yeah, it was a little bit different. It wasn't just, oh, Sheol, where dead people go. But even where he said in Psalms that it gets brought up, that's where you have David, great hope of the gospel. He's saying, don't leave me in Sheol. Mm hmm. Right? I'm trusting you and putting my faith that you won't leave me here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what the resurrection of the dead and to come and not be just. Which is a of... beautiful parallel. Like yeah. you said, the gospel is like, who can rescue me from Sheol? Which David is saying, like, who can rescue me from the grave? Only God can. And what did God really do? He rescued all of us from death. So I'm laughing because what did God really do? I'm like, he sent them to the grave <laughs> yeah, alive. Yeah. So to draw that comparison is just, mm-hmm. again, he's talking about these false teachers being part of Korah's rebellion. And it's interesting that like Korah's descendants, like you would think, okay, he wiped out all of Korah, but they're mentioned as the uh, Koranites, right? Like later in scripture. 
And uh, some of his descendants were credited to writing 11 Psalms. There's 42, 44 through 49, 84 through 85, and 87 through 89. And then in First Chronicles, uh, they were mentioned as uh, they were being responsible for guarding the entrance of the tabernacle. Yep. So Korah's rebellion. What, what is it? Basically, it's uh, him and his followers, they rejected the divine authority given to Moses and tried to assume power for themselves. And false teachers will promote themselves and try to override the authority of God's servants. So when Jude is warning of this, this is what he's hitting, is that. This is why these stories, these three illustrations are being shared. It's like, this is what they'll do. This is what they'll do. This is what they'll do. And then this is the punishment of them. Every single one followed with a punishment. Well, Balaam, we didn't actually read it, but like he died in a battle. Um, And for Korah, they, they went to the grave. And Cain was marked forever um, and kind of just seen as evil in exile. Yeah. So let's get into verse 12 through 13 and talk about Enoch a little bit after that. So after we get through those examples, right? So carrying on from before, when we talk about Michael fighting with the devil over the body, and then those three, Cain, Balaam, and Korah, we get into different kind of descriptors now. So we have, these men are hidden reefs in your love feast. And I know your translation has different, so. Blemish. Yeah, blemishes mm-hmm. in your love feast, which we kind of touched on last time. Uh, shamelessly feasting with you, but shepherding only themselves. They're clouds without water, carried along by the wind. Fruitless trees in autumn, twice dead after being uprooted. They are wild ways of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. It's a lot of descriptions. Yeah. Again, hitting illustration after illustration, like you're going to understand this. So uh, we talked about the, the blemish and the hidden reef, like you said already. Uh, I think we talked about the shepherd thing on the first episode as well. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll skip those two. Um, but like the wild waves of the sea, like that's chaos. So like anytime you see sea in the Bible, yep. it usually means chaos. Um, so what are they? they? They're chaos. They're chaos in your congregation. That's what they're going to come in and do. You notice how it brings those two together, though? They're the ways of the sea foaming up their own shame. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, man, to go amongst God's people and be start causing chaos amongst their, with everything else, just foaming up your own shame. You just see this person coming in and on the outside, obviously, they're being liked by people and listened to by people. What's happening in the spiritual of just, just coming in and the interactions with each person pumping out that teaching, interacting with people, and just like, I just picture these waves crashing and just, yeah, that sin and that wickedness just stacking up on them like just a big foamy wave. Yeah. yeah. It's I a, like the descriptors when, yeah, when it gets yeah. more imagery because you can... You can imagine that, yeah. it. And like, we, I think we talked about the clouds, right? Like if they're rolling in, but there's no water and there's trees that don't produce fruit, they are valueless. They offer nothing productive. And that's what false teachers will do. They have no value. They offer nothing productive because if it's productive, it's for God. If it's value, it's from God. If it's from yourself, it's not productive and no value. Just, I know that that's the, what it does here. Talking about clouds without water carried on and then fruitless trees in autumn talking about the teacher in both ways. But when you just put them together really quick right there, it made me think about how as a shepherd, as a leader, as a teacher, being that cloud with water, mm-hmm. because the way that us as disciples can be talked about, is as a plant or as a tree. So we're supposed to be getting water from them so that we'll be fruitful. And what happens if a cloud comes through and you need water and you're not getting water? You're not going to be fruitful. I think that's a good way to look at it too, is like, what's the opposite of this? Well, if you want to not be a false teacher, 
be the opposite of this. Don't cause yeah. chaos. <laughs> Bring water, add value to everybody. Um, uh, the the other one is a star that wanders and gives no light. Uh, you know, the wandering star. Uh, back then, they used the stars for traveling. Mm-hmm. And if a star is like moving everywhere, you can't use that to give you accurate depiction of where you need to go. Like you can't use it as a good resource. So uh, they basically, the way I see it is they'll lead you nowhere. You know, a false teacher will lead you nowhere because they're just a wandering star. Yeah, looking at that wandering star, I've been very lightly. It's one of those very peripheral things that every once in a while I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's there. When looking at stars and how you said the sea tends to be chaos, stars a lot of times are used of like spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. You get that a lot in Psalms in different places, but, but that the stars being spiritual beings. And I think that I've come across, and it wasn't in a recent study for this, but looking at wandering stars as kind of being dejected like spiritual beings like oh, those have been yeah, pushed yeah, out yeah, like oh yeah. they're the wandering stars they're not fixed in place and they're like they're off doing their own thing rebellious like ones i guess and that's a very speculative layer on top mm-hmm. of that when i see it through that view of like wandering stars are like oh they're spiritual beings that got rejected by god and they left god and they're rebelling against god and what do we know is stored for them locked in tartarus there's judgment there's everything like that and just to line up false teachers with that yeah that's a really good way to look at it too I, that didn't click at all just for being me. like yeah, yeah you're it should be a spiritual thing, but you're off wandering and you're going off into the darkness. That the darkness has been reserved forever. That kind of has that judgment sound to it. Yeah. 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 I, I really like that. Verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of all the ungodly acts they have done in all the ungodly ways of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him and so that's him saying enoch prophesied about this um so right there we get enoch is prophesying prophesying and he's the seventh from adam the great grandfather of noah and we already mentioned he's the dude who didn't die so we're going to just talk about who's enoch the guy who's prophesying uh so he's the dude who didn't die yeah so if you read genesis you get when enoch was 65 years old he became the father of methuselah and after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. So Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more because God had taken him away. So you have that, and then you have what we just read in Jude. And now you basically have the biblical account of Enoch. Of Enoch. There's Enoch. Uh, what I really liked about Enoch's story um, is that uh, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. So it does show a difference that like 65 years of his life may not have been following God's ways, but it was after his son was born. It was like, I'm going to start following God. Like something changed to the point that he followed God so much that like God just took him away. He just followed and was gone. So in those few verses, looking at that, you don't get anyone else really talked about in that Mm -hmm. way. And forever, because this is in Genesis 5, it's close to the front. So if you're doing that thing of like, I'm going to read the Bible and get to know God. You can at least make it through Genesis 5 most times. So the amount of times that me and probably others have come across this guy, you're just like, who is this? Why don't you talk about him? This seems like a really important type of the guy to give me four sentences about. So where can we find out more about it? Jude is talking about this prophecy from him. I didn't see a prophecy back in Genesis. No. So that's where we get into the book of Enoch. Uh, It's an apocalyptic collection and a narrative of visions seen by Enoch. Uh, and there is a distinction. So there are, I believe, three different Enochs. Yes. Uh, the one that's 
being quoted from is first Enoch. And then Enoch two and three are written way, way later. Uh, but the first one that we're looking at is first Enoch. It's actually in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church's Bible. And uh, that fills in the gap. So let me read actually first uh, Enoch 119 and just listen to how familiar it sounds to Jude 14 to 15. Behold, he will arrive with 10 million of the holy ones in order to execute judgment upon all. He would destroy the wicked one and censor all flesh on account of everything they have done, that which the sinners and the wicked ones committed against him. So you could see where Jude is saying, Enoch prophesied about these people, these wicked ones, right? Uh, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of holy ones to judge everyone and convict all the ungodly for all their ungodly acts and all the ungodly, ungodly, ungodly. So there's the parallel between the two of his books. And isn't that crazy? Because for me, when I read that and reading through in Enoch, when you are getting that expansion on the whole Genesis and Genesis 6 story and everything else that's in there, but you come across this in this language, behold, the Lord is coming with myriads of his holy ones to execute judgment on everyone, to convict all the ungodly of every ungodly act of wickedness and every harsh word spoken against him by ungodly sinners. What pops into my mind isn't like, oh yeah, the false teachers of the church. Mm. You, you get what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, Like false teachers, I know that they're around and I know that it's bad. I know that whatever, but like that sounds like a really harsh judgment. God's coming through with myriads, like thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. And now he's going to execute judgment. And it's like, this is Jude saying, Enoch was prophesying about these guys in your church right now. I don't know. For me, when I put that mm -hmm. together, it's like, okay, I'll let you come preach that in church, Jude, because that, that's a harsh word. Yeah. And that's what we talked about at the beginning of the, the first episode on this one was that Enoch or Jude comes in harsh. Like he, this is a harsh message. This isn't your friendly, loving one. Uh, this isn't your five ways to walk right with God. This isn't uh, how to live your best life now. This is Jude coming in and saying, like, there is judgment for people who do not follow God. There is judgment for people who join sides of people who are against God. And everything they do is ungodly. Like, I wouldn't imagine going to a pulpit and being like, if you're a sinner, you're ungodly. That flying well today in America's church. Like, you'd have a bunch of angry letters being written to the pastor if you weren't the pastor. I think that that's a popular conception, but I also think that what grows the church is us going and preaching that gospel. Yeah, yeah. So we think, I'm going to have a bunch of angry letters. Also might have a bunch of repentant people. Right. But and that's, again, Jude, I'm so glad that Jude is in the Bible because like, yo, warning, pay attention mm -hmm. to this thing right here. I think too, uh, a lot of times that, like if we were to go up there and speak, we talked about this, I don't know if we talked about it last episode and or just off air, uh, that if we were to go up and say, all right, here's the parallel between Jude and Enoch. And let oh, me yeah, read. I don't know if we talked about that on the episode. Yeah, let me read first Enoch to you. People would be like, no, you can't read that because of the way it's viewed today within the church. But uh, Daniel 7 and first Enoch 14 through 15, uh, they both include visions of God on a throne. The only difference is Enoch's vision is set in heaven in, uh, like Revelation 4 and Daniel's vision is set on earthly things. Uh, both of them speak of the son of man. So Enoch speaks about that in First Enoch 60, 10. And I, I'm pretty sure if you're hearing there's 60 chapters in Enoch, you're like, that's a big book. Their chapters are like five verses sometimes. It's really small. It's those good books. Yeah. <laughs> those good chapters. Yeah. Uh, and that that's also referenced in Enoch. Um, and he gets heat for that. I think he gets some heat referencing himself as son of man and why people are like, this is preaching false teaching. But Ezekiel is called son of man throughout the whole book almost yeah so you you can't stand on that one to say that it's not right 
And as far as it not being right, what we're getting from Jude, and honestly, when you if you read through First Enoch, which was written somewhere around what two hundred BC, mm-hmm. so it was written around there. That's part of the intertestamental period, also known as Second Temple writings, mm-hmm. right? Is the te- Second Temple period, as we learned about the Second Temple, which right. is also Zerubbabel's temple. I'm learning things. You're not the yeah. only one. Um, written also during then what we would presume Haggai, right? And so you have this. And it was something that was preserved for at least those 200 years. We have a bunch of copies of it in the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? The Qumran findings. It was important for them. It was important enough for June. He's quoting it. Once you read it and then you look at Jesus and his words and his actions at different places, Jesus is also very familiar with it. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to put it in the Bible in order to make it important and something that's worthwhile knowing a little bit of what's going on. Like when you quote all of your... um Quotes? When you put all of your pop pop culture to me. Yeah. Like, I can generally get the context of what you say, but if I went and saw that movie, I'm going to get a lot more from it. Right. So, kind of the same thing. You're quoting the movie. Do you agree with everything in the movie? Is movie reality? Whatever. But, like, you're using it for the purpose. It helps to know more of that. Yeah. And, and I have, like, uh, there's a few other things. Like, yeah, yeah, Ezekiel and Isaiah share uh, the enthronement imagery that first Enoch uses. In Isaiah 6, the prophet sees the Lord enthroned and uh, served by the seraphim. And one of the seraphim burns Isaiah's lips with hot coal to purify them so he can proclaim God's message of repentance. Ezekiel 1 contains imagery uh, to Daniel 7 and Revelations 4 with the creatures that look like earthly animals. Ezekiel uh, 1 also contains the image of God enthroned. And in Ezekiel 2, God sends Ezekiel to proclaim his word to rebellious people. All of these parallel First Enoch and stuff used in First Enoch. And then uh, we also get Revelation parallels First Enoch a ton, and that's natural because both of them are apocalyptic. Uh, the Binding of Satan in Revelation 20 parallels First Enoch 10 through 11, in which God tells Michael the archangel to bind the demon Simeaz uh, and those who are with him who fornicated with women for 70 years. The idea of the demons inciting evil as a final judgment for those who progate evil also parallels First Enoch. So to say that First Enoch is only kind of referenced or used as something that's parallel to in Jude would be a little off. Like you were saying, if you went back and looked at Jesus' words, you would see First Enoch in there. Uh, and Revelation, there's tons of it, and then a lot of the prophets as well. You see the same thing. And we'll get into it more when uh, we do an Enoch special. But I'm not saying it should be canon. As much as I'm saying, don't negate it because of second and third Enoch, right? Like that doesn't diminish what first Enoch was, especially to those people, to Jesus and to Jude, uh, that they saw there was an importance to be learned from it. Yeah, and I get that within Jude, it's definitely talking about this judgment that's coming, Mm -hmm. right? And talking about, oh, it's being a prophecy and this kind of a message, but just to tack on something else to the worrying about if it's in the Bible or not in the Bible or whatever. Think about how many things are useful in sermons or in books that you read or in stuff that you see online that's not part of Scripture, but that comes in and can explain something in a way that adds to Scripture, brings you closer to God, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. To where, again, you don't need to call it Scripture for it to, is it saying something that's helpful? And even the way Jude places it itself, he never says, uh, in scripture it says, mm-hmm. or the word of God says this, right? And we have that in other places where some of the New Testament writers or even Old Testament writers, when they quote certain things, they use this. They say it that way. 
he doesn't. He just kind of leaves it as like he prophesied about this. So uh, I think like you were saying, when we kind of look at it from the idea like it's no different than if I were to read a book and then preach a sermon and say, hey, from this book, I learned this and I want to share that with you. It's a resource. and right. It's a good one to learn. It does fill in the gaps and whether you want to say that it's those gaps that it fills in are right or not uh, is up to you. But for me, when I started doing more of a study into it and really looking into Enoch, probably when we started this Forgotten Book series, mm-hmm. um, it was the same thing like the Day of the Lord. The more I got into it, the more I saw God, right? It opened my eyes to what the big theme of the Bible is, that it's, it's more than just what we kind of see sometimes. It's, there is evil. There's a, there's a spiritual realm. And that's what Enoch Mm-hmm. really got me because he goes back and forth there quite a yeah. bit yeah there's a spiritual realm there's an enemy who's attacking and he's giving us new tools to sin that's what i was going to say the way that the spiritual realm and what comes from that is brought into the physical realm and that's where i think about this as well that when in enoch you have this prophecy talking about coming to judge the ungodly and everything that comes and we're still referencing these to the false teachers what you have is enoch when these sons of god Again, Genesis 6 story, saw that the daughters of men were beautiful, went down to them. But then, as you said, went on more than just having Nephilim children. It was they taught them arts of warfare, how to make weapons. It got into doing makeup and arts Mm -hmm. of uh, seduction. It got into, what else was was in there? Uh, The roots. I had different roots and medicines. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, some shaman kind of stuff fit into that. And you see that it's, again, from this spiritual realm coming in, these false teachings that lead men astray. And when you read Enoch, all of these ungodly people took these things on board, right? Mm-hmm. So you have those sons of God coming in as false teachers and doing, and I think that that echoes here as well. Is that, hey, they're coming into teaching you destructive stuff. Yeah, yeah. And that's really, I, I really like that that's the comparison, that they're coming in teaching you destructive stuff. But yeah, that's all I got for this part. Uh, like I said, we'll probably knock off 17 through the rest of it with the application points next week and get into more of, of that have the fun with it but i'm all tapped out me too and i'm gonna go pray and my brain's done <laughs> <laughs> we we probably talked for as long as this episode before the episode so. yeah yeah and, and i mean the study getting put into doing this episode and these episodes for jude has just been way different for me um i, I always go back to the idea that if if anything if this podcast is just a way for me to see god clearer then i'm totally for it i don't care i mean i care if people listen like please share it with your friends because Hopefully it's, it's a helpful weird way of them. growing the podcast. Yeah, hey, right. guys, I don't really I don't care. care if you I'm listen. doing I'm great. doing great spiritually. No, uh, <laughs> uh, please share it with people that you would think would be interested in it, especially learning a little bit more. But uh, the quest for me is diving deeper to know God. And I think that should be the quest for all of us. Yeah, I could always do a podcast where I'm giving you inspirational thoughts and uplifting terminology. Can you? Probably not. I'm horrible at that. I'm Jude. Um, I, I had someone who was like, man, I don't really think you're as harsh as you say you are. And I was like, you just listen to the podcast. You've never heard me preach. Justine consistently has to go through and be like, you can't say stupid, idiot, or dumb that much in a message. And I'm like, but we are stupid, idiots, and dumb when we sin. And she's like, can't say it that way. I'm like, whatever. Uh, but uh, diving deeper into God's word really does, and studying it really does open up who he is. And like I, I've said this before, it just over and over again, it's so that they would know who I am. Like that's what God says, that you would know who I am. And I think when we know who he is, we fall in love with him so much more. And this is what it's done for me. Um, but I could keep ranting on and on about that. I think we should wrap up. I'm good with that. All right. I am Chris. I'm Yurda. We're your church friends. Thanks for listening.
Amen. 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 